Hello everyone. I uh, hope you're hope you're doing well on this crazy evening. Uh, yeah, I was thinking about the the line from Airplane. You know, picked a hell of a day to quit huffing glue and all this other stuff. It's like picked a hell of a day to decide I was going to do a longer live stream type thing. You know, I had some introductory stuff. You know about football and just some kind of light things prepared and then as I'm finalizing my outline I see uh the stuff with Nancy Pelosi and the impeachment inquiries getting started and I'm like okay all right uh so I had to kind of rewrite some stuff and rethink some things but um before I get into that I am going to touch on that but before I get into that what I what I will say you know I was thinking about football and the Chiefs beating the Ravens the other day but one thing I love about football season and about the NFL is that, you know, we are so, or just sports generally, we're so freaking divided right now. I like that we still have things that, you know, we can rally around and find unlikely allies and that even someone that you might dramatically disagree with on a myriad of topics, um, they're, they're on game day, you know, they're, they're your ally. And so you can form bonds with people and kind of humanize people you might normally disagree with on things. And so I like that. I like that aspect of sports generally. And I also like watching the Chiefs win and watching Patrick Mahomes just be a beast. So that's also good. But anyway, you know, if you are a football fan, if you are a sports fan, I'd encourage you to use that opportunity to build some bridges with people that you might not otherwise talk to or might not otherwise even want to talk to um, because you might find yourself surprised. Um, but anyway, so no one cares about my take on the Chiefs game. Uh, I'm surprised if anyone cares about my take on anything. But the big story right now is impeachment, obviously. Um, you know, I don't really have a lot of thoughts on this. Um, my main thought is, you know, we need we need facts, we need the information, and um, it seems like we're going to get some of that. But I will say this going into it, and I'll, I'll kind of tie everything I'm going to talk about here tonight into this as well later, but... Regardless of what happens, we need to be willing to stick with whatever the facts are um, and not kind of go off on rabbit trails or anything like that or um, find indefensible defenses of Donald Trump if you support him, if something happened, and not find, you know, kind of squinty, you know, grasping at straws attacks if nothing is found. You know, my first thought is it seems like we're going to get the, for those of you that don't know, it's, you know, the kind of the allegation was that there's a whistleblower who raised an issue about something where they, they weren't present, but they heard about something happening, it seems, where he might have been, Trump might have been pressuring the Ukrainian president to investigate Joe Biden because of some stuff that happened with Biden's son um, there, and that he was threatening to withhold funds from Ukraine, withhold aid. And so there might have been a quid pro quo kind of thing of, you know, hey, you're not going to get this money unless you investigate this. And there was a a hold put on the money that they were going to receive. And so that does look pretty sketchy. Um, at the same time, they did receive it and we haven't seen any investigation. In fact, the president of Ukraine said, no, we're that didn't happen. We're not investigating him and that didn't happen. Um, but regardless, the point is, is that they were going to get the transcript of the phone call with the Ukrainian president that this is all based on tomorrow, supposedly. Um, and so what I'll say is that if if we get that transcript and it's like, no, this is bad, this is bad stuff, then no matter how you feel about the president, if you like him or what, you need to go, hey, if he did something here that's illegal, yeah, he needs to face the consequences because this isn't okay. Um but if it's something where that transcript, and we're already kind of seeing a little bit of a pivot on this, as soon as Trump said, well, yeah, I'll release the transcript. You think I'm dumb enough to say something like that? And then there was a pivot to, no, we need to see the whistleblower's complaint. Well, what that kind of seems like to me is, you know, we had this whole thing about Russia, 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 collusion, collusion, and then the Mueller report comes out, and it's like, no, there wasn't any Russia collusion with the Trump campaign. Um, but obstruction, obstruction, obstruction. And so if there wasn't any crime with Russia, there's nothing to obstruct. Trump just being a baby on Twitter and being a baby with people because he didn't like, you know, the way he felt like he was being treated. 
Um, but that's not obstruction because there's nothing to obstruct. And so there's a pivot to this obstruction. And they just kind of dropped it because they're like, yeah, there's nothing here and it's not popular with the American people. But if what ends up happening is they released this transcript of the phone call, and which was the underlying basis of this whistleblower um, and, and what he was talking about. And, the tra- and in the transcript, it's like, no, there's nothing here. Then... You know, we're seeing already pivot to, well, we need to see the whistleblower complaint. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with saying, no, we should see the whistleblower complaint. But it kind of sounds like, well, no, we it, there's obstruction. No, it's this other thing. And with Pelosi announcing this impeachment inquiry, it seems like there's the possibility for it to kind of spiderweb out into all these other things that go way beyond the scope of what the initial claim is. And so what I'll say, you know, this is kind of my prediction. This is very, very early. But my prediction is... If the, uh, after it's released, if after that, um, transcript of the phone call is released and there's nothing there, and if, you know, whoever, um, gets to see the whistleblower complaint, if that's deemed relevant, um, and there's nothing there, and if the House Democrats don't drop it and say, well, this is what we're worried about, um, and there's nothing here, and so I guess we're done, if they, if they drop it, they'll be fine. But if they do what they kind of did with the Mueller thing and what they kind of did with Kavanaugh a little bit and just start looking like, no, there, it has to be somewhere. It wasn't here in the spot where we thought it was, but it has to be somewhere. If they start doing that, they're going to absolutely tank their chances in the 2020 election because it made them look really silly when the Mueller report came out. Um, and they're, you know, that kind of that grasping at straws. And that's why Pelosi was like, no, we're not going to, there's nothing to impeach her. That's why she's been so hesitant to do that because it's not popular and there was nothing there to impeach on. And, and that kind of grasping at straws is really unpopular. That's impeachment wasn't even mentioned at the last Democrat debate. And so if they don't drop it, if there, if there's nothing there, then they're going to, it's going to be really, really, really bad for the 2020 election. Now, if there is something there conservatives and anyone that supports Trump or anyone that just supports the values of America needs to be willing to say, you know, this is bad. This is illegal. And there needs to be justice done here. There needs to be a trial because this is bad. So I think this is going to be a good litmus test for people's principles. Um, I feel like we have those every day now, but it's going to be a good test of if the facts and if there's something there, even if you don't like it, whatever is there, if it's not convenient for you, are you willing to stand by the process? Are you willing to stand by the principles of this country, whether you support Donald Trump or not? Um, but if they continue to kind of, if there isn't anything there and they kind of you know, start looking like they do with the Mueller thing, then I think that it, it'll almost certainly ensure Donald Trump's reelection. Um, could be wrong, but I mean, the dude already had a video ready to go for that he had filmed like at a rally a while back that was in preparation of them trying to impeachment impeach him. So I don't think this is a surprise to Donald Trump. So it's just a matter of like, did he do something or did he not? But I want to wait for the facts. I want to wait for that stuff to come out. Um, but I'll, I'll make more content on that coming up, I'm sure. So anyway, uh, speaking of things that are depressing and divisive. So yesterday, if you were on Twitter or watching the news, uh, it was impossible to not see the at least a clip of the speech that, that uh, Greta Thunberg, the 16-year-old climate change activist, gave in front of the UN. You know, how dare you? You've destroyed my dreams and my future and all this other stuff. Um, and so it was all over. And this is kind of another one of those things where you see where people stand. You know, it's, it's kind of toxic on both sides, at least on the extremes. And one of the kind of analysis that I saw that I felt was really kind of poignant way of putting it was uh, a person said, look, anytime a kid is supporting an issue that's a divisive issue, it's always going to be a confirmation bias issue. Because what's going to happen is if you disagree with her, then you're going to say, oh, look at these people putting up this kid and they're hiding behind the ideas and they're, they're just propping her up and they're abusing this kid and this is so bad and they're exploiting her. Um... So if you disagree with whatever the issue is, you're just going to go to that. And if you agree with whatever the issue is behind it, you're going to say, we have to listen to the kids. If you don't want to listen to us, at least listen to the kids. Like, why aren't you listening? You don't care if you don't listen to the kids. 
And so it's a confirmation bias on either side. Um, and I thought that was a really good analysis of it. But here's kind of my thoughts on it. Honestly, I, I don't... The UN and whoever can bring in however many 16-year-olds they want to discuss this issue or that issue, that issue. That's of no consequence to me. I really, frankly, don't care. They can do whatever they want. But as with many things, and some things we'll get to here in a little bit, it's kind of the way that it's covered that's frustrating. Um, and you see some just gross reactions on both the right and on the left. So on the left, you see people saying like, oh, you know, you're just attacking a child. And if you attack a child, you're the same as a predator and all this other stuff. And, you know, just kind of really maligning the motives of anyone that might disagree with um, her stance or her issues on climate change. And then there's people on the right, like uh, Michael Knowles on Fox News talking about you know, saying, oh, they put up this mentally ill child to hide, you know, their socialism behind. And it's like, even if you agree with him, which there might be something there, you know, even if she is technically, you know, she has Asperger's and anxiety disorder and OCD and whatever else, even if that's true, like, what are you accomplishing? Like, you just, you sound like an ass when you say that. And you're not going to bring anyone over to your side, basically, when you do that is what I'm getting at. And so whatever side of the issue you're on, Focus on the substance of it. Like Michael Knowles could have gotten on Fox News and said she didn't propose anything. She yelled at people and she said, how dare you? And she said we destroyed her dreams and didn't even talk about India or China and the fact that that's where most of the CO2 emissions come from. Like that would be a legitimate criticism. But saying, you know, just some intentionally divisive thing, it's like, what are you going to accomplish? You know, if you want people to not be petty and focus on issues then you need to not be petty and focus on issues. Focus on substance. Um, and so, you know, and the other part of that is if she was up there talking about how great nuclear energy was, I don't think that there'd be as many people that were on the right saying, oh, we shouldn't listen to them because they're a kid because it's they're saying something they agree with. Similar to how after Parkland happened, you know, you have like Cameron Caskey, who actually he moderated and distanced himself from all the other ones for that March for Life or whatever. Um but and Emma Gonzalez and David Hogg and they're on CNN and doing these town halls yelling at Ted Cruz about how he's the same as a mass shooter, um, and the news was like, "No, listen to these kids. Aren't you going to listen to the kids on gun control?" And people on the right were saying, "No, these kids are idiots. They don't know what they're talking about." But then as soon as Kyle, Kyle Cashew, who was uh, I think he was a junior at the time when Parkland happened, he was also at Parkland, and he says, uh, "No, the Second Amendment's a good thing, and these guys are dumb." then he it's like, no, don't listen to those kids, but listen to this kid. And then CNN's like, no, don't listen to that kid, but listen to these kids. And so both sides do it. I don't like when both sides do it. My point is just focus on substance, focus on content. You might be someone who does say, no, climate change is a real issue. It's like at this point, a kind of irrefutable, I think, issue. But people just might disagree on what to do about it. And whenever someone like Greta Thunberg is up there talking about climate justice and equity and that all of that stuff is being tweeted out by the dc democratic socialists and other democratic socialist groups it's like well that's going to make you go well why are why is that part of it why can't we talk about reducing co2 emissions without completely restructuring western society like that's a legitimate criticism but getting up there and talking about how she's mentally ill and then doubling down on it he, he doubled down on it on twitter again it's like dude you're not going to accomplish anything so whether it's the right or the left, just focus on substance of issues. Um, and I think we're going to be better off because, you know, the trying to just dunk on people and get a response out of the other side is not helping anything. And it's just further polarizing us. So anyway, that was my thoughts on that. They can bring all the climate change activists they want. They can bring all the whoever they want up there to speak. Um, but we have to, whether you agree or disagree, engage with the substance of something. And not hide behind it, but also not attack her for being mentally ill without attacking her ideas either. Um, so the next one is one that I uh, am basically feel like I'm probably tap dancing into a minefield on. Um, this report and these news articles I'm going to discuss came out about a week ago. And it's kind of one of those things where I was like, like I want to talk about this, but this is so so sensitive you have to be careful but i i think 
Now, and the more I thought about it, and I was talking to my wife and talking to some other people, um, some other women whose opinions I value, and asking them, kind of saying, "Here's my take on this. What do you think?" And there, and I unanimously got, you know, no, this is this does need to be discussed. What you're saying is correct. Like this is fine. And so it kind of made me feel more secure about this. Um, but it's because this is on an important issue that I think it's worth discussing kind of the way that it was presented um, because it's an important issue. And whether it's climate change with Greta Thunberg or whatever, whenever something's important, you want to focus on what's important and not allow any distractions that might toxify the importance of that topic. Um, so last week, so, so that said, we're going to tap dance into the minefield. We'll see if I fall in the mine or not. I don't know. You can be the judge of that, but, um, there was a study that came out last week and, uh, there's numerous, uh, news outlets reported on it. And it was about this study about women who had experienced rape and sexual assault. And the way that it was presented, what in, in a many news outlets, so CNN said like one in 16 women report their first sexual experience was rape. And I think NBC might have reported it in the same way. I'll put links to all these news uh, articles in here. But the way that N NPR and Washington Post and some others reported it was the headline was, three million women reported that their first sexual experience was, quote, a forced sexual initiation. Um, so that's a big deal. You read... Three million women reported that? Are you kidding me? That is crazy. That's horrible. Like, who? we need to have a whole squad in every police department dedicated to just going around castrating dudes, it sounds like, because that is messed up. And so, it's like, that is, that is understandably disturbing. But then you get into the article, and the NPR one is one where it said, three, over three million women reported this. And then it, when you click on it, it's like, an estimated 3.3 million I said, well, wait a second, what do you mean estimated? You just said that 3 million individuals actually said this. So where's the estimate from? And when you get into the study, here's what the study actually says, okay? Hear me out. This is important. And I think this is a good study. I will say this on the front end. The study is good. The study is important. And I'll explain why here in a minute. It's the way that it's covered that toxifies it and distracts from what's important here. So... The study was of 13,310 women. And of those women, 6.5% reported the forced sexual initiation, which comes out to 865 women. And what they did was they said, well, look, if this is a nationally representative group of people, which it was like ages 18 to 44, and it was collected only in like a certain medical circumstance. So I don't think it was nationally representative, but let's say that it was. Um, or at least that they believed that it was. They said if you extrapolate that 6.5% out, you get like 3.3 million, a little over 3.3 million. And that's where they got that 3 million figure. But that's not what the study says. It was six, 865% or 865 women, which is 6.5%. And of those, this is where it gets even more muddy. So 46%, which is 398, so we'll call it 400 reported being physically held down in the encounter. So that's kind of what we would say is the, what we think of when we think of, you know, a rape or a quote, forced sexual initiation. Is someone being physically held down, maybe drugged or something like that. 26%, um, which was 216, reported to being physically threatened in the encounter. Now it doesn't ex expand on that of whether they felt physically threatened because it was a bigger male or whatever. Um, but they say 26% reported that. Oh, and these aren't mutually exclusive, by the way. Someone might check like three of these boxes. 16% um, reported that their partner threatened to end the relationship if they didn't have sex. So 16% were in a relationship with the person. The person said, look, this is important to me. Um, I am a douche. And if you don't do this, I'm going to end the relationship. So we're talking about crappy boyfriends at this point. And then you have 56%, which is 484, reported that they were verbally pressured into having sex. So that would probably also include that 16%, but it, that were in a relationship, and then clearly probably another 40% that weren't, but were just maybe in an encounter where they were doing something else, maybe someone they met at a party or something like that. 
But the thing is, we don't have any information on the assailants. We only have these self-reported claims. And I'll take them at face value. I'm not, I'm not questioning the validity of these claims, not in the slightest. Um, but here's the deal. 400, so whenever they say rape, and, and actually the person who ran the study said, no, all of this is rape. All of this is the same. All of this is the same. The people who were, were in a relationship with someone who happened to be a selfish uh, jerk is the same as someone who that, you know, that 46% that might fall into the category of what we would typically consider to be the definition of rape. Um, and so even if I disagree with that, I still think there's good information here. And so, but why am I, why am I picking this apart? Why am I criticizing this if I think that overall it has good information? Well, again, it's because of the way that it is presented, all right? It's the way that it's presented. The study's good. The information is good. And I'll get into why I think it's necessary here in a minute. Um, but let me give kind of like a, an illustration to explain why I think it's really, really, really bad when good information or important topics are presented like this. So to kind of illustrate, so there's a, a pretty prominent thinker named Sam Harris. He's an atheist guy on the left. Obviously, I don't agree with him on a lot of things, but I think he's got some interesting things to say. And I'll listen to interviews and or things um, by him occasionally. And Sam Harris has taken a lot of flack. He has some, because he's an atheist, he criticizes religion generally, but he has some pretty prominent criticisms of Islam. And so he's gotten a lot of trouble for that. And he criticizes his own side on the left, and he gets a lot of uh, a lot of crap for that as well. And so here are some quotes. He recently did an interview with a guy named David Pakman. He's he's a leftist progressive like podcaster and interviewer. And he was and Pakman was asking him about um, his uh, the way Sam Harris talks about Donald Trump. And to preface this, this is not I'm not trying to. Uh, understand or or take issue with what Sam Harris is or isn't saying here about Donald Trump. This isn't about whether or not you agree with it. There's a principle I'm trying to illustrate here. So, and Sam Harris is someone who's no fan of Trump. He said that he thinks Osama bin Laden is more respectable than Donald Trump because Osama bin Laden, at least in Harris's mind, was more to some principles, whereas Harris doesn't see that in Donald Trump. Now, I might not agree with that. I think that might be a little hyperbolic, but regardless, that's where he stands. So here's, here's some quotes by Harris to kind of illustrate the point I'm trying to make. He says, even if someone you know is a racist, you can't hold them accountable for everything that can be possibly spun as evidence of racism when it's bad evidence of racism. Because if that evidence is going to stand for Trump, it will then have to stand for other people, right? We're all hoisted by the same noose. It has to be able to be uni universal. It has to be a universal criticism. You don't need to be sloppy in making allegations against Trump. There's so much attack surface there. He's just that bad. And he goes on to say, mainstream journalism suffers from being sloppy here. When the New York Times gets it wrong, it matters. And so he's saying, look, regardless of how you feel about Donald Trump, there's a lot here that you don't have to be dishonest. And he expands on that in a podcast from a couple weeks ago. So here's a quote that I think really kind of summarizes the point. He says, we have a man who visibly lacks a conscience in everything he does running the country, and it's sickening. But in response to that, we have a left that is filled with liars and dupes, and this is also sickening. We have a left that will say the president never condemned white supremacy and that he talked about good people on both sides, where when you actually watch the video, he did condemn white supremacy and his good people on both sides comment while it is endlessly recycled in the media at the highest level on cnn in the new york times from the mouths of the current democratic candidates for the presidency with a modicum of charity or just basic grammar you can see that he was referring to not white supremacists but other people who are at those demonstrations people who did not want these statues in charlottesville torn down now, no matter what you think of these people, they were not the same people chanting, Jews will not replace us. If you watched the full video, Trump condemned white supremacy. Not especially credibly, because again, this guy is so hollowed out by his own narcissism, he can't do anything like that credibly. But the fact that the left will lie about what he said, again, in places like the New York Times, that's a disaster that makes his reelection far more likely. And so 
the point is, and what Harris is getting at, is that you don't, if you have something that's valid and credible, you don't need to be dishonest in order to illustrate a point. He says, whether or not you agree with him, I think that his comments on Trump are super hyperbolic, but the principle of, look, if there's a lot of credit, now to his point of there are things that are valid to criticize is totally right. And what he's saying is, if there's things that are valid, don't be dishonest because it undercuts your credibility. And so that's my issue with the with the way that this story is presented. I think that the content of that study is incredibly valid. And not just valid, but super important and uniquely important. But whenever it's presented as 3 million women said this, when really it was 400 said that, at least in the way we would understand it, and at the very most it was 865, well, that's not 3 million, and you don't need to say that. Um, but here, here's a... To make this even more appealing to you, here's kind of a diagram that I had in my mind of a way that might kind of explain this a little better and explain why this is a necessary thing and why I don't have any criticisms of this study in terms of, as far as I know, it seems like a good study. Um, but the content is important and where, and this is kind of the other part of my criticism of the way that this is presented and the way a lot of things like this get presented. So... What we have here, and I realized I was practicing this earlier, and I'm like, this is going to be a mirror image, but hopefully you guys understand what I'm saying. So what we have here is a crudely drawn line uh, on a on a whiteboard here. And we'll say this part over here represents um, things that are kind of maybe in the shadow of public discourse that we don't really talk about, basically. And this line represents the barrier of entry into public discourse. So if it's over here, it's not really discussed. It's not something that um, is kind of out there that we necessarily have, you know, a general public consensus on. But things that are over here, we do. This is things that we discuss. This is things that are important. And what we could say is that, you know, if we're talking about things that are, would fall under the basic umbrella of impropriety, it might start with things that are maybe generally frowned upon. We do a frowny face there, right? All the way up to things that are illegal that we would say, this isn't just frowned upon, this is morally reprehensible. This is, you should be castrated or killed because this is violent, this is rape, this is that type of assault, that kind of visceral um, violation that you think of, okay? And then this is everything that falls in between. And I'm not even gonna get into that. That's where you know Matt Damon got in trouble for saying, a pat on the butt is not the same as Harvey Weinstein and we need to differentiate between these things. And he got hardcore shellacked for it. And now I'm jumping into that same um, shark tank. But the point is, is that there is gradation, right? Even just from a legal sense, there is gradation where a pat on the butt in a legal sense would not be treated the same, even though it's a violating act, okay? It's, it's bad, okay? And it's illegal. It's not the same as that kind of visceral, violent... Um, rape that you would think of, you know, whenever that word is mentioned. And so I think that what the study does that is good is it takes this issue of, you know, even though those kind of, you know, jerk boyfriends or whatever who say, I'm going to end the relationship if you don't do this, um, they're not, I don't think, the same as people up over here. It takes that issue and of like verbal pressure into sex, or even my first thought when I saw the study was actually, if that, that idea of pressure or verbal pressure was expanded out from the person who is pressuring them into doing it to like friend groups or media or society, or does someone feel a general pressure to engage in this before they're ready? I think these numbers would be way higher, not just for women, but for men as well. You know, whenever I was in school, if a dude, like in high school, if a dude was not sexually active, you know, it's like, what are you, some type of fag or queer or something like that? Like they would get made fun of. I, I, that's the language that was directed at them. I'm not saying that as a, I'm not condoning that. But the point is, is that there was a tremendous amount of pressure to feel like you were, you know, not going to be targeted like that. And girls experience the same kind of thing from, again, from movies and from media and from their, you know, might be from their friends like, oh, are you a prude or what do you, oh, if you're not going to do it, then he'll find someone who does. And also from those guys, right? I mean, that's what that 16% was saying. Uh, the guys threatened to end the relationship. So that is a thing that I think, in my mind, previously kind of existed over here that, you know, we didn't really talk about, but is that bad? Yeah, it's absolutely bad. 
And so the study brings it to where it enters kind of, it crosses that barrier to where it goes, there's like a, think of it like a spotlight. It enters the public discourse. And that's a good thing. And I, that's why I like the study. But here's the, the part that I don't like. Whenever you take this person who, that 16% who are like, might be like a crappy 15 year old, immature, selfish douche boyfriend who, you know, might need to get the crap kicked out of him and should probably never be in a relationship with someone as long as they have those ideas. Or, you know, a person who just, that other group that would verbally pressure someone into sex, you know, if, even if they're uncomfortable with it, like whenever you take that and put that in the same category as this up here, you ruin both both aspects of it. You ruin the way for this to be talked about credibly and you cheapen the experience of people up here because what you do is you move it both issues to the to the extremes or to the middle. So you take this one and you move it here and you take this and you move it here. And so like I saw one of them describing these people as assailants. Well, I think in a lot of cases they were assailants. But is that manipulative 16-year-old douche the same as the person up here who's like drugging someone or violently attacking someone? Well, no. They might be emotionally abusive. They might be a horrible person. But it, is it the same? No. Would it even be treated the same in a court of law? Absolutely not. And so you make it to where people are going, well, wait a second. That's not the same. And so now there's a, a defense almost of the people that would fall in this category because it's, well, that's going a little far there, dude. And so it makes it to where it's harder to talk about this and say, no, this sucks. And we need to talk about how it sucks and how these guys suck for doing it. And we need to have a conversation about that and have that more in the public. And the other thing it does is it cheapens the experience of the people up here who are the victims who experience something horrific and violent and violating. It cheapens the experience because Whenever you take the definition and say, oh, we're just going to put both of these in there, which is someone who might have been uncomfortable but ultimately consented to something, and someone who was violently attacked and viciously violated. I wasn't trying to be uh, alliterative there, but I guess I did. Um, then it cheapens that. It makes it where if someone says, you know, I'm a survivor of this, then it's like it waters that down a little bit, uh, in my opinion. And so we have to be able to have nuance and say, no, this is bad. And it's good that we're talking about this bad thing, but we can't conflate these two because what am I talking about now? Well, I'm talking about the way they're conflating the two and being dishonest about it. Instead of us having a conversation about, no, there are a lot of people out there who do that. And I, I wish that they would do a study and expand it out and say, how many people generally feel pressure to engage in sexual activity before they're ready? A lot. I think it'd be a lot. And the, the study, like I said, it was, I think it was like 18 to 44-year-olds. So the, the numbers would be higher for women here too. And if they included men and said, well, where did that pressure come from? Was it your friend group? Was it society? Was it maybe a, a, a sibling or something like your big brother? You know, whatever. Um, then I think we would see that both sexes experience a tremendous amount of pressure. And that's a, a good assessment of our current culture. And it's an indictment of our current culture. And so I think that's worth discussing. And it's because this is an important issue that I want it to be discussed in the most unassailable way, in the most uh, authentic way. And in the same way where Sam Harris is saying, um, look, you like whenever you are sloppy and dishonest about this, it hurts your credibility. Whenever people are sloppy and dishonest about these things, they don't need to be. And it, and it hurts the credibility and it hurts the potential impact of something super important here. Um, so to answer the question of well, why am I picking at this, I'm picking at it because I think it's important and that needs to be brought in. I'm glad that that issue of kind of that pressure, whether it's from the person or I, again, I wish it would include societal pressure. It may, like this might open the door to future studies to discuss that. Um, that's a good thing. But whenever you don't need to say three million people reported this, that's an that's an abject lie. That is a lie. You don't, like truth doesn't need our help. Truth is important enough. Truth is compelling enough. You know, I know there's that saying. You know, a lie can make its way around the world before truth gets its shoes on. But in the end, I think truth does ultimately come out. And so, truth doesn't need our help. 
We don't need to exaggerate and be hyperbolic in things in order to talk about things that are important. And, you know, part of this is I think we're in such a clickbaity type of culture right now. I understand why some media outlets felt the need to say three million, you know, because that's more of an attention grabber than CNN saying, well, one in 16, even though the one in 16 is factually accurate and the three million is a straight up lie. It's a falsehood or at the very, at the very best, it's incredibly misleading um, and, a, and a very poor usage of the words. So put, like, put things in their proper place and say, this is a bad thing. Let's condemn it. It's not the same as this, but they're both bad. And a person impacted by both has had a terrible experience. Both of them have, but we cannot say these are the same. And we don't need to exaggerate and be hyperbolic in order to talk about things that are important. Um, so, and, and I would apply that to both sides. Like a person who sees this should say, yeah, like like kind of what I'm saying here of, yeah, that was a bad headline, but there's important stuff here. Let's not dismiss it. Whereas some people might say, well, that's a bad headline, so let's just dismiss all of it. Like that's not a good thing. And so I want people to, um, again, just get to the content, just get to the content, get to the facts, build everything, build your narrative, build your um, policies, build your opinions on what the facts are. And the facts of this study, I think, are pretty compelling, but truth doesn't need our help. Okay, well, uh, if you're still here, if uh, you aren't raging on me in the comments, um, you can tell me if I fell on the minefield, uh, fell on a mine, or if I successfully tap danced through. Um, but to kind of wrap it up, uh, the last thing I have here is this is a story that, honestly, I had been wanting to get to this for a long time, um, and I'm surprised that nothing has really changed on, in terms of the, uh, the coverage of this. I, it was something where I expected, I'm like, man, the longer I sit on this, someone is going to actually notice this and cover it well. And that hasn't happened. And maybe, maybe that's a reflection of that. I'm like, maybe reading too much into it. I don't know. You can let me know, but I think this is a big deal. Um, and so here, here's what it was. So, uh, to give you a, a picture of how long ago, the last time I edited my outline about this was on like the ninth, so it's been a couple, like almost three weeks, um, and it's just the story's just sat there. People moved on from it, but I think this is worth talking about. So on August thirty first, there was uh, a straight pride parade in Boston, and you know, whenever I first hear something like that, I'm like, I get it, like okay. I, I understand what, what you're doing there. I don't think it's helpful or productive. Like, I think it kind of falls into that same vein of Michael Knowles talking about Greta Thunberg being mentally ill instead of focusing on substance. I think it's unnecessarily divisive, but okay, I, I get it. You're constitutionally um, permitted to have that parade if that's what you want to do. You know, it kind of seemed, I was thinking about, I'm like, where does that come from? Like, it seemed like something that, Maybe two college freshmen who just joined like the college Republicans, you know, were, you know, 12 natty lights deep and they're like, dude, we should do like a straight pride parade so people will see that it's if they have a problem, then they shouldn't like like a gay pride parade. Yeah, man, that'd be so funny. And it's like, yeah, I get the logic of it. I'm not OK. I understand it would be hypocritical. Um, although they're not really the same technically, I guess. Um, but again, I think it's a, a waste of time and resources. Like if your goal is to piss people off, sure. If your goal is to build bridges with people, this is an idiotic expenditure of time and resources, but regardless. So they have this parade in Boston and, you know, <clears throat> in a turn of events that surprised no one, Antifa showed up to protest it. Because, obviously, like, that's probably part of what the goal of this was. And a bunch of them got arrested. And then after they were, like, the protesters, the Antifa people got arrested. Uh, afterwards, there was this uh, information about a link to, like, a fundraiser of a bail fund for the people that got arrested. And AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and Ayanna Presley um, both tweeted out links to this fundraiser. And so here was the tweets. Uh, AOC said, one way to support the local LGBTQ community impacted by Boston's white supremacist parade 
pause, I don't know how uh, a straight pride parade is white supremacist. Uh, I was under the impression that heterosexuality wasn't a phenomena exclusive to people of European heritage. Um, but okay, all right, sure. Um, anyway, contribute to the bail fund for activists who put themselves on the line protecting the Boston community. Ayanna Presley followed suit. She said, join me now in making a contribution. Thank you to the allies and accomplices who stood in the gap and laid their bodies on the line today in a front uh, of the LGBTQ hate march. To everyone feeling unseen and vulnerable today, we got you. Equitable outrage. Our destinies and freedoms are tied. So again, I don't, I don't know how that's white supremacist, um, but all right, whatever. And they're saying, look, donate to this page. These activists were supporting something that we agree with, that we feel strongly about. They're heroes, I guess. Um, and you should support, you know, them getting out of jail, supporting their, their this fundraiser for them. And, you know, that doesn't really surprise me. I don't think it's good, but it doesn't surprise me. It's kind of like seeing AOC tweet something like that out is the same as, like, seeing Bernie Sanders tweet something out that is patently insane or factually incorrect based on any economic data. Or Donald Trump tweeting out something stupid. Like, it's like, yeah, I, yeah. You are saying something that you know your constituents will like. Okay, I get it. Um, doesn't surprise me. But regardless, you know, I, I think it is important to look at what exactly these people got arrested for, but then there's a whole other part of this. So, but before I get to that, so the Boston Herald, I'll include links um, to the Boston Herald's coverage of this. And again, the last time I edited this was like the 9th of September, so um, there might have been some other developments, but I didn't really see any. I'll explain the one thing that might be different here in a second, but... So here's from the Boston Herald. Larry Calderon of the BPPA told reporters that objects thrown at police included bottles of urine, bottles of chemicals, bottles of unidentified materials, and rocks. He said that four injured officers have not yet been able to return to duty. So one thing that might have changed is that maybe those officers have been able to return to duty. I don't know. Um, but at that point, they hadn't. Police said they tried to disperse a large group of protesters from blocking Congress Street, locking arms while refusing to move. Suspect Michael Doherty was observed punching an officer in the back. Suspect vigorously resisted arrest. Officers also observed numerous tourists stopped on the street, staring, as protesters continued to shout obscenities at officers. Cops arrested 12 people on charges of disorderly conduct and four on charges of assaulting police officers. So it's important to note that the Boston Herald says this, um, and the the Boston Police Department said this. None of this was the parade participants. This was all the protesters. And so that bail fund that AOC and them were tweeting justification out um, of, or tweeting out justified this. They were, you know, they were saying no. This is all good. These are heroes. We're going to give the justification because they're the moral good guys and they're fighting white supremacy. Whatever. Um, they were they were attacking cops. They were throwing bottles of piss and rocks and stuff at cops. Like, what? That's not good. And so that's important to point out that they were supporting people that even if they thought they were, you know, heroes or whatever, that they were doing some pretty bad stuff. Um and so that was that was kind of what happened. That was they tweeted it out and you know, conservative Twitter was upset for five minutes and ran a few stories on it, and then that was the end of it, right? Like, they shouldn't do that, but we're not shocked. Ne you know, next headline, please. Um, but here's the deal. That is not the main story, I think. And a lot of people drop the ball on this in a way that's really frustrating and annoying. And I think speaks to the fact that all people on all sides of the political spectrum feel that pressure to have that clickbait material and to just be constantly keeping up with stuff, which means they're not always properly vetting news sources, because I don't think they covered this very well. Because here's something that I think is a tremendously important detail that was left out. I never I never saw anyone cover this detail. So if you go to the fundraiser page uh, for it, it was created um, not in response to arrests. All of the coverage was like, this was created in response to the arrests. It wasn't. It was created in anticipation of arrests. The protest was on August 31st, the fundraiser page was created on August 27th specifically to raise money in anticipation of arrests. Here's what it says. First paragraph. 
First paragraph on the fundraiser page. Known fascists and white supremacists under the front organization Super Happy Fun America. Okay, you know, that's a pretty funny name. I don't like that they were trolling like this, but Super Happy Fun. That's a funny name. Okay, kudos. Um, are, de are descending on Boston for straight pride on August on Saturday, 831. As we have for the last three years, Boston will repel them with beautiful and bold direct action. In preparation for possible unplanned arrests, we are raising $2,500 to cover any legal fees, as well as supplies for jail support. And I was, so I read that, and I'm like, Some, that just doesn't, I, we're raising money for possible, in preparation for possible unplanned arrests. That just doesn't jive with me. Like, whenever I was in college, I took a class that was like a, I wanted to go skydiving, but I didn't want to do the tandem thing. And so I took a class where you'd like jump by yourself. And there's a waiver. There's a bunch of waivers you have to sign saying you're not responsible. You know, I'm doing something inherently dangerous. And this group, who you know, the flight, the school and everything, no one's responsible if I get myself killed. And I took a lot of other classes. In fact, most classes I've taken did not have waivers that I had to sign on the front end because there was not danger inherent to that activity. If I showed up at a restaurant and they said, "We hey, we'll get you a table. We need you to sign a waiver here, though, saying that uh, you're not going to sue us in case you get salmonella. Just in case. Just in case. You'd have some questions. You'd be like, well, wait a second. That I, Why is that a thing? Why would you even think that that would be a thing? You know, in the same way, if you went to work tomorrow and people were passing around like a, a bucket, a donation fund, and you said, hey, what's that for? And someone said, well, uh, we're just passing this out. We want to raise money in preparation for the possibility of your unplanned death. You'd have some questions. You'd say, what do you, whoa, what, what, what do you mean? What do you mean? And they'd say, no, 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 no. It's your unplanned death. You know, we just wanted to do it just in preparation for the possibility of your unplanned death. You'd be like, something is not right here. I'm getting out of here. You guys are crazy. And the point I'm getting at is that waivers and fundraisers and things like that only make sense in a certain context. You don't sign a waiver before you go to, into a restaurant most times because like, you would have issues. There's not danger inherent to eating at that restaurant that would warrant such a thing. The same way if you went to work and they were raising that money, you'd say, well, that doesn't make sense. There's not danger inherent here that I know of. So I, why are you doing that? So this was not about unplanned or, you know, the possibility of some, oh man, whoopsies, maybe type of thing. No, they knew it was going to happen. And the other way that you know that is that whenever people donated to this fundraiser, they could leave comments. And so I'll read you some comments that are from like the day of, of when people that were there and donating to it and some that are from before the event took place. So here's some of them. F the incredibly overly aggressive cops today. No love for fascists. No love for BPD. Love and gratitude to those who stand up against them. Um, keep up the good fight against fascism. White supremacy and anti-LGBT movements should be punishable by death. F pigs. Standing with you, comrades. Um, Y'all done good. Uh, you rallied and kicked ass and the Klan were too scared to show up. Um, F fascism. Be brave. And so you get kind of the picture of what people that were there, that what they had in their mind. Now, again, that's this isn't like all the comments, but there's a lot of stuff like that. Here's some of the ones before the event took place. So these give us a window into what people thought they were donating to. And these are people that knew what was happening. These are, you know, this is going to be the grassroots type thing. Uh, thank you for standing up to fascism and protecting our communities. You are heroes. F off Nazi scum. We must stand up to hate. See you all Saturday. Thank you for doing this. Keep those fascist F sticks out of Boston. You're doing the work. Thank you, comrades. Go kick their fascist ass, comrades. So, to be fair, that's not all the comments. There was a lot of comments that were pretty anodyne that were like, hey, you know, thanks for doing this. But there was enough comments like this that you got a pretty good picture of what people were expecting out of this, okay? So I don't want to be misrepresentative and say that this, all of it was, you know, active 
anticipation of violence in the comments. But there was a lot of that, okay? A lot. And if AOC and Ayanna Presley gave to this, they could see those. They they would have known. Now, they might have had a staffer or someone do it. You know, I want to be charitable here. But the point is, is people knew what was going to be happening. They knew that there was going to be violence because Antifa going to do what Antifa going to do. And some cops are probably going to get hurt because that's how things happen in a lot of these events. It's just how it is. Um, so the point is, this was support of premeditated crime. The real story here is trolls staged an unproductive and unnecessary protest or an unnecessary parade. Antifa did what Antifa going to do, and they planned a, a protest. And they're like, hey, we know what happens to these things. We're going to set up a fundraiser. In anticipation of unplanned maybe arrests, it happens. The parade happens. People get arrested. AOC and Ayanna Presley, however, they find out, find out about this uh, fundraiser. They tweet it out. They invite people to join them contributing, which tells me that they donated to it, or at least want people to think they did. Um, and they thanked the allies and activists who were throwing bottles of urine and rocks at police. You know, in other words, they financially supported, <clears throat> financially supported this and invited other people to do that. Now, this is premeditated crime against police. Like, there is, that is the only way to describe this, that they were supporting. And what I would say is, why did this not get any attention? Like, imagine, if you will, if Ted Cruz or Lindsey Graham did something exactly similar, you know, like if uh, America, Americans for America or whatever, I don't know if that's a thing or not, but, you know, and they're like, hey, some of these guys got arrested for protesting a Bernie Sanders rally. Um, go d donate to their bail fund because these are heroes standing up to uh, communists. You know, w would that not be a huge major news event? Of course it would. Um, yeah, of course it would. And the reality is, we don't have to imagine, we don't have to imagine how the main me mainstream media would respond to a prominent conservative advocating for what appears to be violence. We don't have to. From ABC News, quote, in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, on the day of the Iowa caucuses, for instance, he, he being Donald Trump, told audience members he would pay their legal fees if they engaged in violence against protesters. If you see somebody getting ready to throw a tomato, knock the crap out of them, would you? Seriously, okay? Just knock the hell. I promise you I'll pay for the legal fees. I promise. I promise. End quote. He said on February 1st, 2016. A similar situation unfolded at a rally in Warren, Michigan. Quote, get him out, he said of a protester. Try not to hurt him. If you do, I'll defend you in court. Don't worry about it. End quote. <clears throat> now, this to me is a case of ideology versus principle. Because... Let me be crystal clear again. They were right to condemn these comments. Now, I understand a little bit, at least, the first one where he's saying, hey, if someone's about to throw garbage at me, yeah, you can stop them. You can take them out back. You know, yeah, knock the crap out of them because I don't want people throwing garbage at me. Like, I get that. I don't think it's a good thing. You know, I think we should want better um, from our leaders, but we don't, we, we're not going to get that right now, okay? Um, but I think that I don't agree with that comment even though I kind of understand it. Now, the second one, I really, really don't like because I don't see any justification for it. You know, it's, hey, get that guy out of here. Don't hurt him. If you do, I got you. You know, like, that's that's indefensible. And again, we should rightfully condemn it. And the news rightfully condemned it. And that you can find dozens and dozens of articles like this talking about how Donald Trump's rhetoric supports hate and how he's a hate monger and all this other stuff. And how they'll put in comments like this and rightfully say, this is leading to violence. Or this could lead to violence or he's endorsing violence. And so they rightfully condemn that. I, I think that that is accurate. That is a good thing to condemn. That is a principle that I 100% can get behind. But the thing is, there there's crickets whenever it comes to this with AOC and Ayanna Presley, And from a purely objective standpoint, saying... Hey, if someone's going to throw trash at me, punch that dude in the face is not the same as, hey, uh, tomorrow we're going to show up and we're going to attack some cops. Uh, please support us. <clears throat> like that's that's worse. It's objectively worse. And so 
even in principle, they're both the same. Our leaders shouldn't be advocating for violence. The outcome of one of them being, hey, no, these guys went and did what they said they were going to do, and but they're heroes. You should give them money. That's worse. But if you're going to take a principled stand, you would say, regardless of who this is, whether it's the left or the right, we're going to condemn it because we should want better from our leaders and not endorsing violence. We just should. And we are right to demand better from our leaders whenever it comes to that. And so that's what's frustrating to me about this is the principle is accurate. The principle of NBC, whenever they're reporting this, or ABC, I think the link is from, um, is accurate whenever they say this is wrong. But if you're not willing to uh, attack something on the other side, then it's not actually a principled stance. And that's what frustrates me, is, and to kind of bring it back to that impeachment thing, and the importance of principles and the importance of facts and building whatever your opinions are around facts and, and around things that you would say, this is right no matter who does it, this is wrong no matter who does it, I will call this out as good no matter who does it, and I will call this out as bad no matter who does it. So if it's the, you know, the violence here, call it out and say, no, that's bad. Even if I agree with this person, it's bad because they make us look bad when they do something bad. So I'm going to condemn it. And actually, that's a good way to build rapport and credibility with people that you might disagree with ideologically. So it's a good thing to do that. Or on the impeachment thing, if the facts come out and there's nothing there, then people on the left need to say, if this was Barack Obama, would I still want to pursue something here? The answer is no, then they need to not pursue something there. But if the facts come out and Donald Trump did something that was obviously bad and illegal, and they say they have to, or conservatives or people on the right need to say, if Barack Obama did this, would I advocate for his impeachment? If the answer is yes, I would, then you have to say, yeah, I stand I stand by that and I would advocate for Donald Trump's impeachment as well. So stories like this and a myriad of others, the things that I, you know, I feel like I'm constantly talking about is the importance of principles and building your opinions and building your worldview on facts and being willing to stand up to people that are wrong, even if they're someone who you want to root for. And in our current climate, where, where things are about winning and dunking on our opponents, people are leaving those principles behind. And you have people defending indefensible things on the left and on the right, and people saying indefensible things and attacking things that there's nothing there to attack on the left and on the right. And so that's my encouragement to us. I'm really cynical about this, to be honest, in terms of I don't see it getting better, but I want it to get better. I don't blame the news as much for responding like this as I do us for feeding it. And so I can't do anything about CNN. I can't do anything about MSNBC or Fox News or NPR or any of those. But what I can say is that us, the regular people who engage in this stuff, if we take a principled stance and are willing to say, hey, even though this is someone who I might say is on my ideological team, they did a bad thing. Or this is someone who might not be on my ideological team, but they did a good thing. If we stick by those principles and don't worry, if we don't focus on winning, then we're going to be able to build some of those bridges and mend some of those wounds that divide in our country. Because if you're focused on winning, what are you saying? If I'm going to win, that means you have to lose. And no one wants to be a loser. No one wants to be a loser. And so like, if you're doing that, you're making the person who your opponent is a loser instead of an ally, instead of a person who might be a collaborator in trying to seek truth and trying to seek what the best course of action is. I'm reading a book right now by Peter Bogosian and James Lindsay called How to Have Impossible Conversations. It's an incredibly good book. And that's one of the things they talk about is if you're focused on trying to win, you are not going to have conversations. You might feel better. It might feel good. But you're not going to build any bridges, and in fact, you're probably going to alienate a lot of people. And what you have to focus on is trying to find common ground with people and establish that you are collaborators in truth-seeking, collaborators in finding out what the best course of action is, not trying to win by you know having the right talking point or the right you know insult or dig or whatever type of thing, which is unfortunately more representative of what we see today um, than that collaborative perspective. So... Anyway, <clears throat> that's it. Um, that's it for tonight. Appreciate you watching. I, it looks like I'm barely going to end without uh, being in scary story time with having the, losing all the sunlight. I'll put all the links to the articles that I cite here in the comments. 
Um, if this is something you like, if you enjoyed this kind of longer version of this type of content, then I'd really appreciate a like and a share. Uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Once I get 100 subscribers, I can have a custom URL. That's kind of a big deal. Um, or follow me on Twitter. I'll put the link to it in the comments, but it's at MyMondayMind. Um, anyway, yeah, so I appreciate you watching. And Oh, and if you don't like it, if you think that I'm just a big idiot, then share it anyway and say, hey, look at this moron saying all these dumb head things. Let's all laugh at him. So, I mean, same result for me, right? Uh, either way, you're sharing it. So, um, anyway... Regardless, I appreciate you watching, and I will, uh, I'll check you next time. Have a good night. Oh, and also, thoughts and prayers for Twitter tonight with this impeachment stuff. I'm terrified to open it, but uh, thoughts and prayers, because it's going to be savage. Uh, anyway, all right. See you later.